a podcast about amazing people from an incredible state. Amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead. Back for another episode of Amazing Arizonans and someone I've known for over 20 years and I think he fits the bill perfectly. Hollywood Don Yates. Um, First of all, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate you having me out here. For people that don't know, I moved here in 1995 from a little beach town in southwest Florida, and my dream was to be a cowboy. I mean, it just was. It always was. And I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by some of the best in the world, and you're one of them. And you truly, you look back on your rodeo career as a bullfighter, and there was a time when you were considered the best in the world at it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's like it's it's nice to hear somebody say that because, you know, a lot of people forget um, in any sport. You know, it's like, you know, it's like the whole LeBron, Michael Jordan thing. You know, sure. it's like a lot of young kids now don't even know who Michael Jordan was, you know, which is mind boggling. It, it is mind boggling. I mean, that's the thing. It's like he was the biggest thing going on Earth, you know. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of kids now are like, who, you know, so and I it's kind of like that in rodeo sometimes, you know, people will be like, who are you, you know, and but there was a time I remember this very clearly because I was such a fan just trying to break in and be considered one of the bunch. And I was a terrible rodeo cowboy, but I love the sport so much that you walked into any room with professional bull riders, professional athletes in the rodeo business, and you were one of those elite people. You were a legitimate superstar in that world for a long time. Right. And, I, and I'm very fortunate I came in when I did, you know, because... Um, when did you start? I started in 1985. Um, I was 15 years old, started fighting bulls and everything. And, you know, so I was, I was coming in on the, you know, amateur side of things, when a lot of the top guys were still riding, you know, like Donnie Gay and stuff like that. And um, and then other guys that maybe weren't still riding but were still around and still legends in the sport. You know, like I went to Vegas in uh, 89 and um, we were at Caesars Palace for Casey Tibbs' birthday. You know, and a lot of people don't know who Casey Tibbs is, which is which is another thing where (laughs) it's just mind boggling that somebody wouldn't know who Casey Tibbs is. And um, but we were there for his birthday and I got to get up with the band and sing. You know, I sang much too young to feel this damn old at Casey Tibbs birthday. at How old were you? I was 19. Okay, so how ironic is that you were singing that song at 19 years? old? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it was it was, uh, you know, so. You know, I I got to meet Casey Tibbs. I was friends with Jim Shoulders. I was friends with Chris Ledoux. I was, you know, uh, now I'm friends with Donnie Gay. We weren't friends at the beginning, you know, because he didn't like me. He didn't like the hair, the earrings, the, you know, like we were, we were actually at uh, Handlebar Jays one time and uh, he walked up to a buddy, um, can in I Scottsdale. Use, in Scottsdale. And can I use a, a little explicitives? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. We'll bleep them if they don't yeah, like we, them. Uh, you know, and it's not bad. But, yeah, he, uh, a buddy of mine walked up to get a drink, and uh, and Donnie Gay looks at him and goes, Gary, I know you're friends with him, but, you know, you better pick sides. You know, and Gary's like, pick sides? What do you mean? He goes, because I'm going to whoop his ass. And Gary's like, you know what? He goes, let me go around the room and start taking bets. He goes, because yeah. Hollywood's going to mop the floor with you. He said, and I just want to make money on this. You and know? for everybody that doesn't know, Donnie Gay was a multi 
uh, year world champion bull rider, one of the greatest. When it goes down in history, right now he's the greatest of all time. Still, yeah, he's eight time. Ty world Murray's champion. in that conversation. You got yeah. some of the guys in the PBR that are, but he was the guy back then that oh, set yeah. the standard for everybody else. Yeah, and he just didn't like me. He just didn't like me, you know, because I was the I was the new young guy that was. You know, I've always been Hollywood, you know, I mean, look at my hat, you know, it's like, you know, JW made me this hat because he's like, you're the guy that I know can wear spikes on his cowboy hat. You're the guy that is flamboyant enough. Where does that come from? Because um, I'm going to I'm going to tell a little bit about what I've seen in you that contradicts the flashy kind of boisterous everybody look at me person. I knew guys that were just starting out in the bullfighting business. Guys, you're still friends with. One of them's passed away that we're just starting out. And I remember you were at the pinnacle of your career in the mid-90s. Right. And I remember you showing up at Mr. Lucky's and some of these other amateur events that were going on. You were bringing guys cleats because you had a shoe deal. You were helping guys with their career. You were encouraging people to just get better. And you were behind the scenes helping these guys become better. That's contradictory to you just talking about always being Hollywood. Well, you know, the thing is, is, you know, I'm very sure of myself. I'm very sure of my abilities in anything I do. I know that I'm going to be one of the best at whatever I do. I might not have the exact talent to do it at that moment, but I'm going to work my butt off to be great at it. You know, when I first started fighting bulls, my athletic ability kept me from getting hit and run over. But I was I was not good at the job of protecting cowboys because I was so fast running through. I didn't understand. You got to slow down. You got to, you know, so... But I also know that by helping somebody else raise up and become successful, it's not going to tear me down. One, nobody's going to take my job unless I'm ready for them to take it. You know, so I'll help. I'll help anybody behind the scenes, and I'll help them raise up, and I'll help them be better at what they want to be good at because that's what we're supposed to do on Earth. You know, God didn't God didn't put us on Earth to work every day of our life and be miserable. God gave us, you know, the Garden of Eden. You know, he, he, he made this beautiful thing. And he said, you know, stay here. Do, you know, enjoy. You know, just don't eat that. Right. You know. Well, we and screwed a, and that a, up. Yeah. Well, she did. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, no, but, um, you know, but we screwed that up. But So he kicked him out of the garden. But he didn't say get out of the garden and go work your butt off every day for the rest go of your life miserable. and be miserable. He just said, you just can't be here. You know, and because I don't know why, you know, but everybody just thinks I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I got to. Well, yeah, you do. But you got to enjoy what you're doing and you got to enjoy life. And if I can help other people to enjoy their life and be successful, you know, it's just that's what we're supposed to do. I agree. I agree. So let's talk about why rodeo, because you are big enough and fast enough and strong enough. You could have committed to any sport and probably been just as successful. What drew you to the sport of rodeo? But specifically, what drew you to what even guys I got on bulls said is the most dangerous game there is, which is fighting those bulls? I had played every sport pretty much there was, other than hockey, because there wasn't a whole lot of hockey in Arizona yeah. at the time, you know. I mean, there I think there was only two ice dens. You know, they weren't called ice den, but, yeah. like, there were only two ice arenas. And... uh you know, but I had played basketball, baseball, soccer, football, and I excelled at all of them. And I didn't have to practice at any of them. You know, it's like I always say, God blessed me and cursed me with so much athletic ability. Um, 
you know, I made the United States Little League team to go play in Japan against the Japanese for the Little League World Series back when it was only two teams that went to the World Series. Um, and I, it was funny that I, we're talking about that because on that wall out there is Governor, um, the first female, the first female mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Um, I, th- I think it was Rose Moffer. Ma- yeah. Um, and so I made the team, but Rose said that Phoenix couldn't afford to send me and Reggie McGill. Uh, he was the other athlete chosen from Arizona, um, but she couldn't afford to send us and chaperones to be on the team. So we didn't actually get to go to Japan and play in a Little League World Series. We got our certificates and we got our you know medals and everything for being chosen for the United States team, but we didn't get to go. Um, but that was the thing. I was so good at everything that I got... I, I wasn't, you know, I, I lost interest in everything. It did, nothing kept my interest. Um, part of that has to do with ADHD, I guess. Um, but rodeo was really cool. And being a rodeo clown bullfighter, I was like, because I was also singing in nightclubs as, yep. a, as a child. And I was like, I could still be an entertainer and I could be an athlete. You know, and these are some of the craziest, coolest guys that I have ever seen. And some buddies of mine were riding bulls in high school, and uh, they were like, hey, we know that you work with horses and everything. Because at the time, I was actually being trained to be a jockey by my grandfather. A jockey? I was. What are you, 6'3"? Sh- well, yeah, but I was short then. Okay. My freshman year of high school, I was five foot tall, about 85 pounds. My sophomore year, I think I sprouted to like 5'2". And was maybe 95, 100 pounds, you know, and in junior year, I sprouted up to a big five, six, you know, but it wasn't until after high school that it's like people say, yeah, I remember you in high school when you were just tall and skinny. And it's like my senior year, I might have been, you know, five, ten and about one twenty five. So I might have looked tall because I was so skinny. Um, But, uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't great at fighting bulls. My athletic ability kept me from getting hit and hurt. But. I didn't understand the job well. I wasn't great at the job, and it bothered me that I wasn't great at it. And so I would sit down. I would tape Mesquite Rodeo every Sunday night. I would, you know, find any kind of VHS of bull ridings and bullfights and, you know, the Wrangler bullfights and and just studied and studied and studied. My cousin lived with me, and she would, like, leave the house in the morning, and I'd be watching videos, and she'd come back, and I'd be watching videos. Was this before they had the bullfighting schools? Because now they have schools like that for everything else. Was this before those were popular? There was... um, Rex Dunn had a school, um, and Rick Chapman, you know, would put like there were guys that would maybe put a school on here or there, but I didn't know about them. Um, I so learned, you were learning on really learning on the fly. I learned, on, yeah, I I just learned by getting out there. You know, Cody Custer was telling somebody the other day. He goes, "Yeah, I remember the first time Hollywood came out. Jim Bob had told me, he goes, stand here, don't move to the bull gets here, and." You know, he, he said, you know, they bull came out and just hit me square in the chest and knocked me on my back. And I got up and went to him and they were like, he might actually make it. But that's what you get you from know. listening to anything that Jim Bob well, Custer exactly. tells you to do. Exactly. By the way, Cody Custer is a world champion bull rider. His brother, Jim Bob, the North American bull riding champion, a reserve or the touring or the, the touring pro uh, Bud Light Cup Series at the time is what it was called, champion bull rider himself. But right. um, they did the same thing to me. Yeah, they had me go stand on a fence and 
make sure this bull doesn't crash into right. this fence. And I looked around, and I was the only guy standing in the arena, and the bull smoked me right into the yeah. fence. So he pulled the same trick on yeah. me. So, you know, but it's like, so, it, you know, it was something that I it, it bothered me that I was not just instantly great at. Um, so it kept my attention, and I just worked harder and harder to get good at it. And, you know, and it's, you know, you talk about the schools and everything now. Guys now, it's like, They'll go to a school, they'll, you know, go fight bulls at a bar around here for, you know, six months. And then, you know, they all call me and they want, you know, me to sign for their PRCA card. And it's like, you've, you haven't done anything. You don't know anything. You've not been anywhere. You haven't fought any bulls, you know? And they're like, well, I, I fight every Friday night or Saturday night over here. And it's like, again, you haven't fought any bulls. It's like, you know, we were... At, out at Estrella Park on Tuesday nights, and they would buck what sixty to ninety they bulls I remember. every they Tuesday were, night, and it wasn't a day off either. Yeah. Then uh, Wednesday nights, we'd go down to Charlie Sampson's place down in Casa Grande, and he would buck thirty to forty bulls. And then Thursday nights was Sacaton, Arizona, and those were some swampy bulls. You know, big I never, brand, I was yeah, never down there. Big brindles, you know, come off the res and stuff, and. You know, and and they would buck, you know, 60 to 90 bulls. And then Friday night, we'd go to a place. It was a, it was kind of right next to a bar. They called it Rawhide. It was out in Chandler, and it was just this long arena, and they would buck bulls there. And then Saturday, we were, Saturday and Sunday, we were back at Estrella Park. You know, so I was, I was fighting bulls six days a week, and, you know, I was fighting over, you know, I was fighting over 600 bulls a, a week, basically, or right around there. And, uh, you know, then I started going out to the Texarkana bull sale and fighting, you know, you get there and you've got, you know, 20 contractors bringing their stuff that they're trying to sell. And a lot of them are swamp, you know, just plumber bulls and, you know, stuff that are, they don't just take you to the fence. If you go up the fence, you make sure you go over because they're going to come up the fence. Yeah, they're going to chase you. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I moved to Oklahoma and I went to work for Larry Kephart, Dwight Frick, and Don Dees. And I worked uh, about four months out there with those guys and fought some of the rankest bulls. And Like, you basically had to freestyle fight your way back to the chutes after you saved a rider on every bull. And when I got back after being out in Oklahoma for a while, Jeff Kobza saw me at a deal. And he goes, holy crap, when did you learn to fight bulls? You know, like he had seen me before. And he was like, man, you're a whole different bullfighter now. And I said, well, I moved to Oklahoma and worked for three different contractors. And he goes, who would you work for? And I go, well, Larry Kephart. He goes, that's all you have to say, yeah. man. He goes, if you worked for Larry Kephart and didn't die, you, he goes, you learned something. Well, because the industry is such a small family. I mean, you, yeah. everybody knows everybody. And so if you get a good reputation with one, you can usually use that for a good right. reputation. But it does the same way for people that end up getting bad ones. Right. I want to talk about your injury, though. Because you two, it was I know there's been more than like, one. Which one? <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't it Salinas? Salinas, where California. you took a horn. Yeah, I got gored. Uh, bull got me down. It was the fourth round. The year before, I had torn my Achilles tendon uh, in the third round, and so you know I had had surgery. I come back a year later. It's my first bullfight back, and uh, I was. I was kicking everybody's butt. I was about to win my fourth Salinas championship. And all I had to do was place like second that day. And uh, I would have been the Salinas champion and I'd have had my fourth championship there. And um, 
about 15, uh, let's see, it was between 10 and 15 seconds into the fight. I had thrown a fake, did a step through. I went to throw another fake. And uh, as I went to get around, he popped me, got me down, it launched me out in front of him. And as I tried to roll to get up, he run a horn actually through my right glute up nine inches into my colon and everything. It stopped a quarter of an inch from my spine, and there's a whole nerve bundle there that they said, had he hit that, I'd have probably been paralyzed. Um, so, and it, and it didn't feel, you know, horrible. Like, I mean, you know, like it just felt like a just a quick pop. I've taken, you know, a shot like that a hundred times, and I hit the fence, and he ran by me, and I got up to go back to him. And when I took about a step, I was like, oh, something's not right. And so I walked by. Joe Bumgardner was one of the judges. And as I walked by him, I was like, I'm done, man. He's like, you're done. I've seen you take way worse beating. And I'm like, I think I'm ripped open, man. And I went over the fence, went under the grandstands, and went into one of the big porta johns that's yeah. like a wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. And pulled down my shorts and grabbed a whole bunch of toilet paper and reached back and, you know, and it – it was as red as I've ever seen. And I was like, well, maybe it's just a scratch. So I grabbed some more toilet paper and I reached back and, and I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm bleeding out. And so I pulled my shorts back up, walked out, laid down on the cold concrete. And I said, somebody go get the Justin healers. And they came and got me on a deal and drove me around the arena. And as they went by my, uh, trailer, I was like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. I go, go in and get my phone off the bed. I go, I got to call my wife. And so they got my phone and I call her and she's like, oh, no, you tore your Achilles tendon again. And I'm like, no, no, Achilles is great. I'm like, it held together great. And she's like, what's wrong? And I go, I'm ripped open. I'm going to get the doctor to check me out. I'll call you back. And we went into the Justin Healer trailer. He basically pulled my shorts and, you know, checked the hole. And he goes, yep, we got to. And I go, I don't want to go on an ambulance. And he goes, we don't have time for an ambulance. And he threw me in his Suburban, drove me there. When we got there, the trauma team was outside already. And they threw me on a deal. Doc comes in, checks me. He starts to tell me what he's going to do. And I just dialed the phone. I go, tell my wife. She knows medical better than I do. And he talked to her for a few minutes and hands me back the phone. And I go, okay, I guess I'm going to see you when I see you. And hung up. And I woke up the next morning with, like, 35 staples up my gut. I had a colostomy bag um, because they needed everything to heal where he had sure. actually gored Absolutely. me. They needed it to heal from the inside out. Sure. And uh, so I had a colostomy bag for two and a half months. And, you know, that that's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me because I only have one fear in life. And, you know, like I'll swim with sharks. I'll skydive. I'll, you know, I'll do anything. I'll I'll fight Mike Tyson. I don't care. I'm I'm not scared of anything on this earth. The one fear I have is smelling bad. And I'm like, how can I not smell bad with a colostomy bag? And and you're in the rodeo business. Yeah. (laughs) You're getting around them bulls. You're not immune to touching them. Well, you saw what happened to me in Wickenburg. Yeah. Cover the whole side of my jacket. I'm oh, standing yeah. in the arena. Oh, I've had tails whipping my mouth. I know. Just it's... that are full of bullshit. And, you know, it's like, yeah. Okay. Just chewed up grass. Yeah. That's what they used to tell us. Yeah, exactly. Just chewed up just grass. Just chewed up grass. So when you look at your career, because you went back to it. Yeah. How quickly How quickly were you able to get back? And was it was the mindset for you to get back 
so that you overcame what just happened. You didn't want that to be Well, you know, right? I, I didn't go back into the bullfights right then because there were no bullfights anymore. There, there was Salinas, you know, but as I'm laying there in the hospital bed and the Salinas committee comes up and they were like, you know, last year you got your Achilles torn and this year you got Gord and, you know, we just... And i like, you know what? I go, there's not a tour anymore. There's no reason for me to do, you know, try to get ready for one bullfight a year. I go, so I'll just come back in the barrel next year. And they were like, okay. So I went back in the barrel, you know, the next year. And I, you know, and I would still fight bulls at rodeos, you know, like doing cowboy protection. Um, it wasn't until BFO uh, brought the BFO back, you That's know, bullfighters like, only. Bullfighters only. And, they, <laughs> and, it, and it was, you know... A whole new generation of bullfighters, and a lot of them didn't like the old guys, you know, because they don't—I don't know—they just didn't think we knew anything or something. I don't know, but um, they—I was talking to uh, Aaron that had started that whole deal up, and I like, man, I said, uh, if you want me to come out of retirement and kind of do a passing of the torch type deal, you know, I, I would love to work with you guys, you know, because it was a great career for me. It made me a lot of money. It got me a lot of sponsorship deals. Um, you know, so I was like, I want to help other guys. You know, as you said earlier, I try to help people. And so I came out of retirement, uh, hadn't fought a bull, a freestyle fight. I hadn't fought one, you know, since I got gored and that was 2006. And, uh, this was 2015 that they did the BFO's first deal in Vegas and, uh, I came out and, you know, fought my bull. He wasn't that great, didn't hook up a whole lot. They, the arena was really big. They didn't flank the bulls at first, you know, because they didn't realize why the flank was there. You right. know, they, they thought, well, no, you guys just flanked them so that they, you know, wouldn't. And it's like, it's not just so they wouldn't run fast. It's like, because once they, you know, do a couple kicks out of there and get moving, they forget about the flank. It, but it does slow them down enough, you know, it gets them thinking enough that, they they mind you know they pay sure. attention and so then you can get a, a good fight just in frenzy. this bull would run by me to the other end i'd run up there i'd do a step through he'd run by me he you know it's right. like so the next day of course you know i'm already out because i had a bad bull but the next day they cut the pin in half and then i think uh, i think they still fought him flankless but then i think the next day they even started adding flanks and you know it's like you know, um, but yeah, I had been, you know, out of the bullfights for 11 years, something like that, um, and came out and did it again and, you know, wasn't worried about it, wasn't, you know, I mean, it's what I do, it's what I know, it's second nature. But you've had, I, we've all heard, had people tell us, you can't do that. You know, oh, when yeah. I came to Arizona, I was told I couldn't do this. But right. what you've parlayed stuff into is what's impressive to me because as long as I've known you, and it was casually for most of the time, I really didn't know you that well, you always, you just exuded that confidence. So you've got a line of whiskey. i got my whiskey. You have been, and I want to get into the American Gladiators. You've right. been in movies. Yep. You've been in television commercials. You are a very sought-after country music singer now across the country. Right. Um, that doesn't happen without hard work. No, and, it doesn't. And in all of those industries, most people are told no a lot more often than not. Oh, yeah. Can you Let's talk about first the American Gladiators because that documentary okay. just came out. Right. You were the second generation of American Gladiators. Yeah. But on that show, you were kind of the bad guy, but the one that everybody loved to hate. You were the one everybody wanted yeah. to see. How'd well, that come about? Well, um, 
it it was actually basically I always say uh, a year you know from deathbed to gladiator in a year yeah you know basically I had gotten gored I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything physical again so I started just working on com you know stand up comedy and singing you know like I I started writing songs and writing you know comedy and because I wasn't sure if I would ever get rid of the colostomy bag and I probably won't fight bulls I probably won't be a wrestler I, you know got the reversal. Get started getting back in shape, and I um, I bumped into uh, Nova. Uh, he was a WWE wrestler that I used to wrestle with, and he had heard about the goring, and so he we were talking and everything, and he was like, "Oh man, you know." And then I bumped into um, Ric Flair. I, I'm sorry, not Ric Flair, uh, Shane McMahon here in Phoenix. I went down just to see a bunch of the boys, you know, and because I wasn't trying to be a wrestler anymore, and. Um, when he heard I was a bullfighter, you know, because I kind of gave him a hard time. I was like, he was stretching and everything. I was like, oh, you wrestling tonight, Shane? And he's like, oh, no, I'm just cutting a promo. And I go, you're stretching <laughs> to go cut a promo? I go, man, you're old. Yeah. And, you know, and he kind of looks at me and I go, yeah, I, I'm not trying to get a job with you. I don't have to be nice anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and he goes, well, what are you doing now? And I'm like, rodeo clown bullfighter, you know, and he's like, oh, you know. So he asked me if I had a DVD or anything that, you know, and I was like, yeah. So I sent it. Well, then. WWE decided they wanted me to come back and they wanted to sign me to a deal and do the whole rodeo clown gimmick in the wrestling arena. And so we were working on this character. Um, and so I was in great shape. I was 237, you know, shredded. And I happened to be in Vegas for the Mr. and Miss Olympia bodybuilding show. I was helping my friend Jantana spray tan all the competitors. Yeah, my wife was competing, not at the Olympia that, you know, year, but she was a national level competitor mm -hmm. at the time, which she is now IFBB Pro, so shout out to yeah. Sherry Yates. Yeah. Um, Looks amazing. I yeah. mean, she is, and, and, oh, how, and wait till you see her, should, she's getting better. I should get her in here because yeah. the transformation for her, she's kind of, you two are so similar because I remember her saying to everybody, I'm going to compete again. Right. And then it looked like in three weeks she yeah. transformed herself into this completely different she person. She is the hardest worker in the room. And I'll say, I, Dwayne Johnson, you think you're the hardest worker in the room? Work out with my wife once. <laughs> I bet she puts you under. You're the only man in America that would want your wife to work out with Dwayne Johnson. Most guys don't want anybody near Dwayne Johnson. The only thing Dwayne's got that I don't have is money, right? And that's just right now. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, but, uh, so I was there spray tanning everybody, and I had a break. So my wife and I were walking through the Fit Expo just looking at all the booths. And a girl came up, and she was like, excuse me. She said, have you ever watched the American Gladiators? And we were like, well, yeah, you know, it was a great show. And she's like, well, w the executive producer's over here. Um we would love to talk to you about being on the show, both of you. And my wife's like, TV? Nope, I'm out. And, you know, so I went back, talked to them, turned them down. Because I was like, I'm working a deal with WWE. They're not going to let me do another show. Well, they stayed after me for about four days. Finally, on that Monday, I was drunk, had been out all night with Chris Angel and Carrot Top, I was crawling. Now, there's into, a combination. Yeah, I was crawling into bed at like seven in the morning, 
And Valerie Wagman, who was uh, Siren on the show, she uh, called me and she's like, hey, are you going to go to the tryouts? And I was like, nah, I'm, you know, I'm just climbing into bed. And she's like, no, come on, come to the tryouts. And she just kept hounding me. And I'm like, fine. I go, where are you at? And she goes, I'm at the taxi stand. And I go, well, I'm not, I got a shower, you know, I like, I'll meet you there. So I got in the shower, went to the deal get there there's a line you know like a mile long around the building and so i just walked past everybody walked up to the front and i said hey where's chad i think it was chad presley was the uh executive casting director at the time and i go where's chad presley and they're like well he's inside and i go i'm here to try out for this deal and she goes there's a line right there and i go yeah i don't do lines go get chad and chad walks out and he's like Hey man, oh thank you for coming, and you know, he, just fill out the paperwork. And I go, Chad, I'm not standing in this line. And when you talked about that line in the documentary, they showed the oh, line. Oh yeah, it really did go all the way around that building. Oh yeah, and I go, I'm not doing a line. And I go, so you either walk me in there and we do this, or I leave. And he goes, just fill the paperwork out, and I'll get you in. So I fill the paperwork out. I do all the things, you know, the pull-ups, the the last things, the 40-yard dash. I do the 40-yard dash. And, you know, at my fastest, I used to run like a 4.3, 4, 4, 40. And at 2.37, I probably still ran a 4.5, 40, mm-hmm. 4, 4.40. And uh, so I run the 40, and uh, this kid goes, he goes, holy crap, you're fast for a big guy. And I go, yeah, just think how fast I'd be if I wasn't drunk, you know, and I go, where is he? And he goes, oh, you, you hung over? And I go, no, I'm drunk. And I go, <laughs> you know, where's Chad? And he's like, well, he's over there talking to somebody. And I said, well, go get him. And he goes, well, I, I can't. And I go, well, then I'm going to be over there asleep. And you tell him when he's ready to talk, wake me up. Did you really fall asleep at the tryouts? Oh, yeah. I went over next to the wall and went down and went to sleep. I'd been out all night. I was tired. So I lay down. Finally, Chad comes over and he's like, hey, man. You know, so we talk, and he goes, you know, I just need you tomorrow to do it. And I'm like, there is no tomorrow, man. I'm going home. I've been on the road for three weeks. I was in Spain for two weeks before I came here, and now I'm here. I go, I'm going home. And he's like, what? And I go, I'm going home. And so I left. And he called me the next day, and he's like, could you please come back tomorrow on Monday and, and you know, do a on-tape interview, you know, cut some promo? And I'm like, fine. So I flew back up to Vegas get there there about an hour he said they were running an hour behind so i went down to the bar and had a few drinks and everything and then i come back up and there's a theme here <clears throat> there is a theme here uh so i go back up i cut my promos i do the interview i leave they call me a week later and it's just turned into a you know deal 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 Finally, they say, okay, we need you to come out to L.A. We were going to meet with, you know, the producer. We got to, you know, do a psych eval. We got to do all this. And they sequestered us to a hotel. And we weren't even allowed to talk to each other in the hotel. Like, we had to, you know, basically go to our rooms, and that was it, and wait for them to come get us to, you know, go take the psych eval and then to go do the physical and, you know, all this. And and it was funny because as they're picking us up at the airport – I go to get on the bus and there's a girl in the van, you know, and she's like, Hollywood, what's up? You know, and she gives me and they're like, you know him? And she's like, yeah, he usually sees me naked, though, because I spray tanned them all. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, a lot of the competitors. Okay, I I was, yeah. Here's the story so, we have to cut out of this. So then we go, you know, we drive around and we get to the next place and a girl goes to get in and she's like, Hollywood, what's up? You know, so 
like five of these girls have all, you know, I've tanned them for these competitions. They're competitors. And, you know, and it's like, so finally the second day we're there, one of the producers comes up and he goes, how is it that you know all these girls here and you've seen them all naked? And I go, I'm Hollywood. And I just left it at that. Well, then the one day I was supposed to be wrestling for WWE on Monday Night Raw. But they said that that's the day they needed me to meet with the executives for NBC. So I had to get out of that day with WWE. But then I I told them, I go, but I can be there Tuesday in Bakersfield. So Tuesday I wake up. And I'm leaving the hotel, and one of the producers is like, hey, wh- where are you going? I'm, you know, you're sequestered. To the, and I go, do I have a contract? And they're like, well, no. And I go, well, i got to go wrestle and keep my job. And so I went to Bakersfield. When I got there, they called me, and they go, okay, we need you back. You, you, we're going to use you. And I go, well, i got to wrestle tonight, so I'll come back to the hotel tonight. And they're like, well, we're changing hotels. And I go, text me the address, yeah, and I'll get there. I'll be there. Then it was like three weeks, four weeks, felt like we were just there. Like we didn't know what we were doing when we were coming home. You were know, they we would go, you? we would know, and we would train every day and we would do stuff. And we, and it was just like, and they were switching us hotels. And, you know, then they finally sent us home. And I still didn't have a contract. And we were home for three days for Thanksgiving. They finally called me and they said, okay. We're going to give you a contract. We want you back. We want you for the show. And I'm like, all right. So I went back, packed for, you know, two, three months because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be out there this time. And got back. Still didn't get a contract. It's the day before filming. And I'm the only one without a contract. And there was this big guy, young kid, 6'8", you know, 285, 290, and uh, they pull him aside and me, and they go, uh, we're trying to decide which one of you we're going to use. And this kid goes ballistic. He's like, I've got a contract. You call my agent. He's just, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you tell them what they got to do, kid. And I turn around and walked off. And I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm getting mad, too, you know, because it's like, are you kidding me? You've jerked me around for how many months out here? Yeah. I uh, finally... I grabbed one of the guys walking by, and I go, excuse me. I said, can I talk to you off the record? And he goes, yeah. And I go, what's going on, man? I said, I'm I'm tell you what. I said, I'm pissed. I said, because I've been here for three months, basically. I said, I don't know what your you know deal is. I said, if I didn't want this job so bad, I would tell you all to, yeah, you know, I get F it. off. I go, I would walk out of here. I'd walk across the street to ABC. I'll I'll come up with a show. That'll be so good that I'll bury your show. You guys all lose your jobs. You'll go home desolate. You'll be homeless. Like, I mean, I went off on this guy. And I go, that's what I would say if I didn't want this job so bad. I go, but I want this job, so I'm not going to say any of that. And he kind of laughed, walked off. Fifteen minutes later, another guy walks by, and I grab him. And I went off on him. And I tell him, I go, what seems to be the problem? He goes, well, we're just not sure you're going to be good for TV. And I go. But you ended up being... Exactly. And that's, I, told, I go, I go, who's the idiot that thinks that I'm not going to be good for TV? I go, I'm the one person in this whole cast that was built for this. I go, I'm an athlete. I'm an entertainer. I'm a rodeo clown. I know I'm a wrestler. I know how to cut promos. I go, you know, and I go, whoever thinks that I shouldn't be, that I won't be good for this. I go, you need to fire them and tell them to go home because they are the stupidest person in L.A. 
and they have no business being in the entertainment business. I go, go get that big 6'8 guy, bring him back here in this circle. The guy that gets up gets the job. I go, because I'll snap his neck. I'm tired of this. Go get him. And he kind of laughs, and I go, don't laugh at me or I'll snap your neck. I go, go get him, bring him back here so I can break his neck and get my job. And he walks off. About 10 minutes later, the director walks by, and he winks at me, and he goes, you got it. So so for the people that don't remember Wolf on American Gladiators, there's a story you told me a long time ago about something, and I can't remember if you told me it made the show or it didn't make the show. There was a contestant with a prosthetic limb. Yeah. And it, it is it something you wanted to do? or It's, it it's what I wanted to do. All right. Can you tell what was it you want? This will typify so for, for everybody what Wolf right. was on this show. So for two seasons now, you know, I'm, I'm you know, talking about how I'm just going to rip these competitors limb from you limb. I, yeah, I was a bad guy because I knew that, you know, all the other American gladiators, they're, you know, the good old, you know, Captain apple America, pie, yeah, apple, apple pie, pie. you know, <laughs> but you need a villain. You need somebody to be that just jackass, you know, that the anti-hero, right. you know, the Steve Austin, sure. you know, the, the whole attitude era of WWE. I mean, that's why it was so good. It's, yep. you know, it's why the Punisher, it's, you know, Rambo, you know, Rambo's a great guy, but he's also, yeah. you know, you mess with him and he's, yeah. you know, so... So I'm just, you know, every episode I'm, you know, I smell blood, I smell fear, and I'm going to eat you. I'm going to rip your limb from limb. I'm going to break your bones. I'm, You know, like for two seasons, they have a contestant that comes on. He's a para-Olympic athlete. He's missing his lower half of one of his legs. And he's he's doing a great job in all the, you know, things that he's going up against. And, and uh, we get to a deal that's called The Wall. Now, on ours, you had to cross this bridge that was in water, so it's very unstable. And then you get to the wall, and then you crawl up. Well, what they do is they blow the whistle. And they basically have seven seconds to get over and start climbing up the wall. Then they blow the whistle for us. So they they get get a good head start. Well, that thing's wobbly and everything. And this guy's sitting down, and he's putting his leg on, which is shorter than the other leg. And so I'm like, that's going to be pretty hard for him to, you know, go across this in – so I just walk over and still in the wolf, you know, because I'm I'm a method actor. So yeah. I'm I'm wolf from the time I get there to the time I leave. And I w- kind of walk over to him and I go, have you ever gone across this bridge with that leg? And he's like, looks up and he kind of, you know, he's like, no, no, sir. And I go, this bridge is a little wobbly. I go, and it's hard enough to get through it with two level legs. I said, I'll tell you what. I go, they give you a seven second head start. I go, it might take you seven to eight seconds to get across this bridge. I go, when they blow my whistle, I will not come. I go, I will give you a chance to get on that wall. But once you're on that wall and you've made one or two steps, I go, your ass is mine. And he's like, okay. Now, was this on the show or was this No, this was off. This is off air. Okay, so the part I love about this story is what, did you do it or was it what you were going to do? No, it's it's what I wanted to do. And the producers knew me well enough that right after I had that conversation with him, the producer walks out and he goes, uh, hey, Wolf, he goes, we're going to give him, uh, we're going to put him on the wall. Like, he doesn't have to cross the bridge. We're just going to put him on the wall, blow the whistle. And then he's going to start up, and then we'll blow your whistle, so he gets a more of a head start. 
And I go, okay, you know. And this guy's like, well, no, I I can go, you know, like he's. And I go, no, no, no. I said, if they're going to give you an advantage, I go, take it. And I go, because like I said, once I get the opportunity, I go, your ass is mine. Producer goes, Wolf, come here. I walk over and he goes, don't touch his leg. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I have threatened to rip contestants limb from limb for two seasons. What were you going to do? Now I finally have the opportunity to literally rip a guy's leg off of him, and you're not going to let me do this. what were you going to do when you got the leg? I was going to pull it off. (laughs) You know? And it's like, and I told the producer, I go, you want good TV. I go, you want good TV. He goes, I don't want people to hate you. And I go, they're not going to hate me. I go, you want good TV. This guy is almost to the top. I go, I grab that leg and I rip it off him. I go, one, I get to rip a leg off. I go, which I've been threatening to do. I go, so now I have fulfilled what I said I'm going to do. I said, now, two, his handicap just became his strength. I said, because as I pull that off, he keeps going and makes it to the top. Yeah. I go, and he wins because... Yeah. Of that. I go, that is the greatest TV you will ever have. And he goes. And he wouldn't let you do it. And he looks me right in the eye and he goes, don't touch his leg. <laughs> do you I'm still like, think you were right? Oh, I know I was right. I know I was right. Yeah, some people would have hated me. It's all right. Some people hated me anyway. Some people hate me every day. <laughs> all right. So the American Gladiators show ends up going off the air. Right. You don't stop. You're still doing other things. We talked about the wrestling the brand of whiskey how did something so now you branding yourself as rodeo rock star right so you just mentioned earlier when we started this that one of the people that you would kind of run around with when you were younger was chris ledoux yeah and for anybody that's a rodeo fan like i am and a music fan chris ledoux is iconic because not only was he a world-class athlete in the rodeo arena world champion and was also so recognized for his music yeah you are not chris ledoux in personality, at least the way you're presented on stage, how do you how do you brand rodeo rock star? Well, and you know I'm not Chris Ledoux as he was on stage, but I am. You know, it's like he, Chris was. I'm talking so, about the personality of Chris Ledoux's not pulling anybody's leg off as well. Well, I'm no, saying. no, he's not. Okay. He was a nice guy. Yeah, um, but you know, Chris was such an entertainer. Um, you know, he's a great songwriter. Like, I mean, yeah. we all had all his, you know, sure. tapes, his eight track, eight tracks. For those of you that yeah. don't know what that was, it was a square <laughs> thing about this big that you put into a big deal. You have to talk to Julia yeah. about that. We have to school her yeah. on what eight tracks I'll, are. I'll Google eight track or Google eight track and you can see what it was. But uh, <clears throat> Yeah, when Garth Brooks is, is is using your name in his songs, you know how much yeah. of an influence well, when, you have on when Garth music. Brooks, so for those of you that saw Garth when he was younger running across the stage and jumping on yeah. stuff, that was Chris Ledoux's show. Yeah. It was. You know, I mean, Garth saw Chris and just basically took on Chris Ledoux's. And he admits it. Yeah, and he admits it, you know, and and it worked for Garth, you know. And thank and thank God for Garth, you know, because he mentioned Chris Ledoux in his song, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old. And that's when everybody started going, Chris Ledoux, who's Chris Ledoux, you know. And so that's what really brought Chris Ledoux to the mainstream, not just to the rodeo right. crowd. He was he had his niche. Sure. But then he became huge to mainstream. But, um, you know, I had a I had a uh, an announcer at Greeley 
he started calling me, you know, the rodeo rock star um, years ago. And I just never really used it as a moniker or anything. I thought it was cool, you know, because he would call me the rodeo rock star or the Dennis Rodman of rodeo or, you know, because I was different than everybody else. Um, but then when I started singing and started doing everything, you know, I started kind of leaning more to that rodeo rock star thing and was like, you know, cause I'm still rodeoing, I'm still going out there, you know, fighting bulls, doing the barrel work and doing all that. And I'm trying to book my band at the rodeos and that way I get a double paycheck. Um, and for rodeos that maybe don't hire me to do this, well, hire my band. You know, I'll come in and put a great show on for you. And so that's slowly been building up. And, you know, I'm I'm Southern rock, yeah. con- country, country rock, Southern blues, you know, because, like, I grew up, started as an Elvis impersonator. And, you know, he's very blues-based. And, uh, and, like, it was just a few years ago I went out to Nashville for a few weeks I just wanted to submerse myself in in music and find out like who who's Hollywood, you know, when it comes to music. Who you know, like who is the rodeo rock star, or like what you know? Because I can sing anything, but what do I love? And uh, I went out there and started going to all these bars that were outside of Nashville and all these little you know songwriter deals. And and what I found was the things that I really leaned to were the blues. You know, uh, Aerosmith. Yeah. Aerosmith is blues based. Um, you know, even Rolling Stones are blues based. You know, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, that's all the stuff that I really loved. Elvis, you know, so country blues, blues, southern, you know, rock and roll. You know, Elvis was the king of rock and roll, but it was a southern based, you know, rock and roll. So it's it's I've just started, you know, encompassing that and building this brand uh, called the Rodeo Rockstar for a clothing line for whiskey for I mean, it, it sure I want this brand to be one of the largest brands in the world. You know, yeah, how, that how long did it take to catch on? People knew you behind the scenes. Right. And people in the industry know you. But it is getting very popular. You are booked all over the country. Yeah. How long did it take for people to start catching on that this wasn't a gimmick? That you, you I mean, know? we got, you know, the, t- the TV show got canceled 13, 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, 15 years ago it was on air. So, I mean, it was only on air for a year for two seasons. So, yeah, it's been about 15 years um, that I've been doing music and hustling and, you know, and, and I... I made the mistake. I don't know if I. I don't know if it, I, I. I don't think anything's ever a mistake. Things are what they are, and how you deal with them, and how you go from that point. Yeah, that's what makes it. So, but I humbled myself uh, after the American Gladiators. After I got the show, I tried to humble myself so that people wouldn't think. Oh, this guy got a TV show and he became a jerk and this and that and blah, blah, blah. People thought I was a jerk before the, the TV show, you know. I mean, not not everybody, but I mean, a lot of people, you would look at me and go, oh, he's arrogant, you know, cocky and this and that. Because I carried myself with pride, with, you know, like, I know that I'm good at what but I do. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted you to do this with me is because I always liked that. I like the fact that when you kick down the door when you walk through it. 
I liked it about you, but I thought, like everybody else that never saw you, that you were arrogant. Right. That, you know, it it wasn't – there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Right. It wasn't until I got to know you a little bit and I saw that there was that side of you that helped so many other people and really was looking out for what was best, that it was confidence and not arrogance. Yeah. And and so, you know, people catch you like this. They don't have time to get to know you. So does the music let people get to know you? I think it does, you know, because I've, I've got some songs that I've written that are very much about um, me. You know, I've got one song called I Save the Cowboys that I've yet to record yet and put out, but I will here shortly. Um, but it's called I Save the Cowboys, and it's it's a song about being a rodeo clown and being broken and battered and how, you know, whiskey helps heal the pain and, you know, living in a busted pickup and you know just traveling the road um I yeah, another but in, one in fairness in hollywood fashion you do have a song called up yours well i do have a song <laughs> called up yours yes you know and uh i i've got you know my other one get loud that's been played at every it's rodeo song, across yeah. the country it's more of a rock and anthem stadium anthem and we wrote it for that reason we wanted it to be a stadium anthem i've got ghost you know which is um a very heartfelt song. I wrote this with Bobby Pinson. He was a 2012 songwriter of the year. Writes a lot of stuff for Toby Keith. And, and we wrote one day together and we wrote this song, Ghost. And, you know, when we first started into it, he was like, oh, that's kind of dark, you know. But uh, I have, you know, I have a whole, you know, there's a light that shines from me, but it comes from a very dark place. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, like anybody that, you know, is living you you have tragedies in life and you have things that you know ghost is about those memories that sure. never go away about those people that you know are gone but every day they come back you know in your memory and they you know sometimes it'll drive you crazy sometimes it's a good you know brings a smile to your face but you know so i think my music yeah i think people are finally starting to you know, see some some other side of me and everything, but I, you know, I got party songs, I've got, you know, different things, and, uh, but, you know, when I said that I made the mistake, I tried to humble myself, I, I tried to humble myself, and I, I lost who Hollywood was. Sure. So for a couple of years, you know, I'd had nothing going on. You know, I had a few rodeos, I had a few gigs, but I, for the most part, I didn't really have, you know, and I had, you know, I was known around the world as Wolf. Yeah. You know, before that, I was known around the world for my rodeo stuff, and I was one of the best in the business, and I could walk into any place in Vegas, and they knew who Hollywood Yates was. Um, you know, we combined them behind your back. We used to call you Holly Wolf. That's you know hey, that. that's all right. That's we used all to right. Call you Holly Wolf. Hey, I love you know. It's I mean, I, people call me Wolf, weird. Uh, they call me Holly Wolf. They call me H. They you know, it's like yeah, you know, and uh, as long as they as long as they're talking about me, you know, yeah. that's fine. But it's you know, but so I got depressed, and when I got depressed, I you know started drinking a little heavier, and and I I started looking in the mirror, and and I'm. I didn't even recognize, you know, who was looking back at me. I was like, who is this old man? You know, and I was like, I have got to do something. I've got to get back to being me. And so I started booking more rodeos and booking more band gigs and getting back out on the road because the road is where I'm the happiest. I got a great wife. I got a great house. I got great animals, my dogs, my horses. 
but that stage and that road is where I've lived my whole life, and that's where I'm the happiest. And if I can have my wife and dogs with me, it's even better, you know. But it's like I had to get back to being who who I was, you know, because I'm gonna I'll say this, and and not that it was causing problems in my marriage or anything, but with anything, you know, you fall in love with somebody, you fall in love with this, and then over time. You know, it's my wife and I always tell people, don't try to change your partner. You fell in love with somebody. If you fell in love with a bad boy, don't try to change him into a good boy because you're not going to like the good boy that you get. You know, they were the bad boy. You know, if they, you know, don't don't change that. Don't change anything about your spouse. You will grow. You'll change. You'll change over time as a person, you know, and hopefully Y'all still love that person, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you'll go this way, but you come back. You go this way, you come because we all grow, we all change, we all have different times in our life where we feel differently. Sure, you know. One year we might have really strong beliefs about something. The next year you might not care. Yeah, you know. So it's you know. So I I finally got back to being Hollywood Yates, the rodeo rock star, and I'm happier. My life is better. My marriage is better, you know, because I'm that guy again, that guy that she fell in love with. It's fun to watch you. I mean, all the years I've known you, but it's still fun to watch you. I get to watch you perform. We were at a rodeo together in Wickenburg, yeah. a bull riding and watching you in the barrel and entertaining the crowd. And then you were on stage afterwards. Right. As someone that's kind of grown to be your friend, it's still fun to watch you because you do look happiest up on that stage. And, and I think that's an important part because you look happy yeah. now. I am. I am. I mean, I I wake up happy, you know. I might wake up tired, but but for the most part, I wake up happy every day. I I wake up excited every day because it's another day to do yeah. something. It's another day to succeed. It's another day to build this company bigger. It's another day to help somebody else be better. You know, it's like I look back at my career and about the people that I helped and one of them, you know, that has passed, you know, that was a kid that had nothing, came from nothing, and he went to the national finals. Was an immensely and, talented uh, young man. Immensely talented. Uh, there's a rodeo announcer out there that is, you know, multi, multi-time announcer of the year. And I had a part in that because I was doing the Phoenix JC's rodeo and a rodeo announcer pulled up right next to me as we pulled in that day. And I was like, hey, Randy, how you doing? He went, and I'm like, whatever. And he goes, no, serious, Mike. He had no voice. Yeah. You know, and so I called J.W. Brooks and I said, get over here. And he's like, well, I'm supposed to be doing this bull riding at this bar. And I go, Find a substitute for that. Get over here. I go, this is going to help you get yeah. your PRCA card. It's going to get you in, you know. And so he did. He got there. Well, there was a steer wrestler that had grabbed the mic and was announcing when Wayne got there. Yeah. And the steer wrestler never gave up the mic. Right. So Wayne stood there the entire rodeo, didn't get to do anything, say anything. His wife's upset, crying, like, why doesn't this, you know, this guy's not trying to be an yeah. announcer, and he knows Wayne. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I go, the fact that he showed up, the fact that he's here, and the fact that he's being cool about this says everything. Don't yeah. worry. And Randy Corley helped him get his card and got Phoenix to hire him as co-announcer the next year. And 
has helped Jada and and no, Wayne. Wayne, and Wayne has taken off and yeah. become he he will go down as one of the most iconic rodeo announcers in history. And the reason know. why you're mixing them up is JW yeah, is JW's his brother that makes is your brother hats. that makes my hat. One of the most iconic yes. hat makers in the country. But Wayne got me started announcing, yeah. and Mr. Lucky's here right. in Phoenix. Um, you know, the whole story right. about Wayne is a guy that came from, again, just right. kicking around, grew up here yep. in Arizona, and he is one of the most iconic announcers. Yeah. All right, listen, before he, we – go ahead. And he helps. You know, he's helped yeah. you. Uh, I was talking to Tonka Bai the other day, yeah. and he was saying that, you know, Wayne was, like, giving him good advice. And, you know, sure. so it's like he passed it along, too. It's like that's that's what successful people are supposed to do is I agree. help others. Before we close it out – Website or how do people find you? Because I think when people start looking into what yeah. you're doing, I th- they're going to find you somewhere saying, I just want people to learn more about you. Right. Uh, go to HollywoodYates.com, which uh, will be revamped either today or tomorrow. I mean, it's we're, we're, I'll show you when okay. we're done. Like, it's cool. Uh, but HollywoodYates.com, um, Instagram, HollywoodYates, Facebook, HollywoodYates Music, um, and Twitter, I don't do a whole lot on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you like positive motivational stuff, everything I do is positive and motivational because there's no reason to be negative. You know, I, I think social media is the uh, worst thing that's ever happened to the Internet, you know, but I use it because that's the way you reach the world. Um, but I just think it needs to be used in more of a positive way. Uh it, I also have a bull riding coming up on July 15th, the Big Red Bull Riding. Uh, come out and watch me there. That's There's in gonna Scottsdale, be, right? That's in Scottsdale at Westworld. Um, yeah, it's uh, the website, the music. You can get anywhere that you download, Spotify, iTunes, yeah. Amazon, and it's just Hollywood Yates. I appreciate it. I, I really do. This is a guy, one of these, one of the most iconic people I knew in the rodeo business growing up. I was such a huge fan, and I'm glad we're still friends after all this time, and I appreciate you coming down. I am too, man, and I'm proud of you. You've done a, a heck of a job. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Discover more amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead at KTAR.com, the KTAR News app, or wherever you get your podcasts.